You're listening to the Business with Purpose podcast with your host, Molly Stillman of stillbeingmolly.com. This podcast takes you behind the scenes with some of the world's most generous entrepreneurs, from the CEOs of mission-driven brands to directors of small community nonprofits and everything in between. Molly is sitting down with men and women who believe in changing the world not only through their personal lives, but also their professional careers. And now, here's Molly. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Business with Purpose podcast. My guest this week is Tim Scott, who is the co-founder of Mitscoots Outfitters. Yes, Mitscoots. I'm saying it right, and we're going to get to, in the show, why they're called Mitscoots, and it's kind of a funny story. Uh, But Mitscoots Outfitters is an amazing company that is helping to alleviate issues and problems surrounding homelessness. They employ the homeless. They provide goods like beanies and scarves and socks and shirts for the homeless in communities all around the country. Um, Tim's story is really cool. It's really unique. He clearly just has such a selfless and giving heart. And I loved hearing how he got started in this business. So I hope you enjoy my conversation with Tim. Hey, Tim, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you for having me. I am really excited to have you on the show. You know, a couple weeks ago, I had a guest on who's in a similar position that you are. And I said that you are a rarity in that you're a dude on my show. <laughs> because the, the fact of the matter is, is the not saying that this is reality, but just the majority of the, you know, purposeful and ethical business owners, um, especially in the ethical fashion space that I uh, interact with, m- are mostly female. So I get really excited when I get to uh, chat with a dude and get a, a guy's perspective on this industry and and hear. And it's always interesting, too, to see how guys answer questions and all that kind of stuff. So uh, I'm really excited to have you. Yeah, thanks for having me. I actually, I didn't realize that. I mean, I did kind of see it when we do, you know, a little entrepreneurial panel, uh, speaking things and whatnot. I, yeah, I guess I am usually one of the only guys up there, aren't I? Yeah, it's uh. really, it's really <laughs> fascinating how I've learned just over the last couple of years as I've really tried to dig deeper into sort of this, you know, I guess this industry, if you will, um, you know, the ethical product, ethical fashion, you know, fair trade, sweatshop free, whatever you want to call it. You know, some people call it different things. Um, but it's it's so interesting how so many of these companies tend to be female led when that isn't necessarily how it is in the rest of the business world. While there obviously are female entrepreneurs and female CEOs of large companies, it seems so female driven. Um, So and I don't know if that's actually reality or if that's just sort of my perception. You know, I don't know. I'm I'm fascinated by it, though. No, it's I mean, I wouldn't say it's just you. It was one of the things that um, my my wife and I are actually co-founders together of the company. And one of the things that always drives us bonkers is whenever we go and do these like startup things and entrepreneurial panels usually it's um the company that is like oh the great company they made it they made it it's always some young guy Mm -hmm. and on the ethical side yes uh, mostly women but it's it's always your facebook's and your google's and stuff like that and i don't know it I just I want to see someone different yeah. <laughs> for once that's up on the stage that said, I made it. And they either are uh, woman owned or minority or just just some diversity in the yes. startup community would definitely be 
a fresh change of pace. So yes. I, I get I get kind of stoked to hear that that it is actually mostly women. Yeah, in, uh, in the fashion enterprise area, it definitely is. I mean, it, at least from what I've kind of come across. But anyway, I'm I'm digressing already. But <laughs> uh, so Tim, <laughs> you are uh, the co-founder, along like you said, along with your wife of, and I ch- I checked before we started recording, Mitscoots. True. I said it right. Um, Outfitters. And I love what you guys do. You guys have such a unique approach. And so I want to dive all into that. But before we really dive deep, I need you to give us the Tim 101. So that is in a few minutes or less. Tell us your life story. Tell us what what is it? You know, all the the steps that you sort of went through that led you to where you are today and running Mitscoots. Holy cow. Yeah, the elevator pitch. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. The elevator pitch. I love it. I've got three floors to tell you everything about who I am. Perfect. Um, So, uh, name is Tim Scott. Um, I grew up in like a suburb type average American town. Um, Joined the military right after high school. Um, Did that for a while. Always wanted to be more purpose driven Mm -hmm. with my life and what I did. What branch Uh, of the military? I was in the Air Force. Okay, cool. Yeah, and then uh, when I had gotten out, um, met my wife in, in college. Uh, but while we were still dating, we, we really liked to get involved with the social community. So mm-hmm. we jumped into uh, helping homeless. I, I didn't really have a lot of them coming from uh, the suburb background. And so when we would come across these individuals, I uh, was shocked that there was such a contrast in, uh, in lifestyles. So mm-hmm. we volunteered a ton, uh, got back into it, and... Uh, I guess what made me me that's a that's a open broad question yeah. but uh, <laughs> I, I just I wanted to do something with my life that didn't revolve around a paycheck um and I just really wanted to do something we give back and granted I had a professional career as well before the company but found myself always volunteering on the weekends and this was a great way for me to be able to have a career live a life and constantly be giving back through that career Yeah. Now, you know, it's interesting because my mom was uh, in the army. She served in the army in Vietnam. And, you know, having been around a lot of military in my life, I find that um, so many people who join the military, you know, whether it be during their service or after their service, it's the type of person that joins the military that is the type of person that volunteers all the time, wants to give back. I mean, it's just, it's such a service oriented. I mean, obviously you, they call it, you know, thank you for your service because that's what you're doing. You're serving our country, all that kind of stuff. And so I'm, I'm obviously, and thank you for your service in the air force. Um, you know, so how do you think that your time in the military played into your desire to serve others outside, you know, and volunteer and, um, where did that passion sort of come from? Do you think? Um, well, at least with, uh, the military, I mean, everything you do within it is always trained around the idea of service. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, what was the core values that, that we had in the air force were, um, <laughs> service before self, mm-hmm. uh, or integrity first, service before self, and excellence in all you do. And it's actually still some of the core values that we have at our company. I have them printed up on a little wall so that everybody can see them. And, uh, I mean, the drive to be in a career, to give back, I think everyone has it, to be honest. It's just 
uh, a matter of how much each person kind of cultivates it to let it become what they do for the rest of their lives or a thing that they kind of just passively engage with on the weekends when they're not busy with their own stuff. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, it's possible. I think for anybody, I just, I really wanted it to be as much of mine and, and our family's life as much as possible. Yeah, absolutely. And that I completely echo that. And it's, it's funny when you say that I think about my childhood and my mom was the type of person who, I mean, my passion for service and my passion for giving to others and all of that was, I mean, I attribute 99% of it to the way my mom raised me and the, the, the way that my parents really instilled that in me. And, you know, I think about when I was a kid, my mom was the kind of person who we would be, you know, because I lived outside. I grew up, grew up outside of Washington, D.C. And, of course, the home, homeless population where we grew up is just was just massive. I mean, there's just homeless people everywhere. And, you know, we would be going into the city all the time for different, you know, various veterans events or things like that. My mom was very active in the veterans community. And, you know, she always carried, you know, McDonald's gift cards or snacks or things like that in her car so she could give them to homeless people when she saw them. Um, she never gave them money. She always gave them what they needed, whether it be food or socks or, you know, hats. You know, she was just that very, very intentional. And, um, you know, I, I, she passed away when I was in high school. But, I, I, you know, I think back, I wonder how much of that you know, she got from her time in the army. Oh yeah. 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 Um, you said that you, where did you go to school after, did you go to school after you got out of the military or while you were in the military? Was it kind of both? Yeah. Yeah. A little bit of both. I got an associate's degree while I was in the military, but Mm -hmm. then I, I went back to, uh, to college at the University of Texas oh, okay. Right okay. here in Austin, where we're based, um, to get uh, some undergrad degrees and uh, stuck around and got a, a master's as well. And you met your wife there when you were in school? I did. I was lucky enough to meet her as well. So was college it, was good all around, I'd say. <laughs> was it like love at first sight? Or were you guys in a class together or just kind of mutual friends? Uh not love at first sight. I, we were definitely in a class together, but I remember <laughs> passing her a note and uh, she got it and then kept trying to pass it to the next person <laughs> next to her. And I was like, no, 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 that's for you. And she was like, oh, neat. This will be awkward for another semester. But uh, yeah, worked out okay. I love that. I love that. You were going old. You were really kicking it old school with the passing of the notes. Did it have, was it like folded in a cool way? You remember how they used to do that with notes? When you would pass notes in school? Yeah, somewhat, not <laughs> dating myself, I guess, but obviously not with the times, I guess. <sighs> I love it. Um, <laughs> now, you mentioned that you guys started serving the homeless community together after you'd got married. Was that something you guys just kind of mutually decided? Was that more of a nudge from your wife? Like, how did that all get started? And, and what kinds of things did you guys do? We actually started volunteering together when we were first dating. Mm-hmm. Uh, at UT, and part of that is because uh, here in Austin, where the company is based now, there's this long stretch of shopping areas uh, up against the college campus called the Drag, and there are uh, unfortunately a lot of individuals that panhandle in that area. And when I would be walking to class when I first got out of the military, 
you know, you're definitely always taught when you were in there, if you see somebody that needs help, help them, right? Yeah. And yeah. I'd be walking to class and I'd see this group of individuals that obviously needed help, uh, but have no idea what to do. Yeah. Uh, what, you know, the concerns were, were maybe a little bit outside my capacity at the time. And I found that over a year or two, I was getting really calloused towards walking past uh, these individuals and saying like, oh, well, you know, this they make their own bed or um, I, I'm too busy right now or whatever. And I, I hated myself inside for making all these stupid excuses why I wasn't able to help them. And uh, so uh, my wife and I decided, well, let's, you know, focus that 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 frustration towards actually volunteering. And so we would do a lot of work then in the homeless community, uh, as of then all the way up until now, obviously trying to find ways that we could give back until the point where we decided we were going to make our entire careers about it. Well, that is a great segue that kind of leads me to my next question. And, you know, for those that are listening and we talked briefly about Mitzkoots at the beginning, for those that don't know, what is Mitzkoots and how did you guys get started? Uh, yeah, Mitsukutsu Outfitters is uh, an Austin-based clothing company that is trying to outfit and employ uh, the transitioning homeless. So um, whenever we sell an item on a, online or in any of our roughly like 200-plus retail partners' stores, uh, whether it's you know, socks, beanies, gloves, hats, scarves, things like that, we give an equal quality item out to someone in need uh, through our nonprofit partners all over the country. But then to take it a step further, we actually employ uh, the transitioning homeless at our Austin packing facility. And they're the ones that actually put everything together or get it ready for retail at least. So, uh, you know, like sizing tags, uh, little suede leather pieces, accent items, you know, essentially all the branding, uh, they get it ready, uh, have a awesome employment opportunity. And then that's how we're able to send our stuff all over the country. That's amazing. Now, what year did you guys get started? Uh, the company officially launched from a crowdfunding campaign in 2012. Wow. And how long had you and your wife been working on it? And where did the idea come from? And, you know, kind of what did those early days look like as you guys were kind of dreamstorming this company and, you know, the launch of the crowdfunding campaign all the way up until, you know, kind of where you guys are now? Yeah. Well, um, I mean, like I'd mentioned, we'd been already volunteering um, in the homeless community for years and years and years prior to that. And we were just giving out things on our own. Like we'd pack our own socks or gloves and beanies and put them in our car and hand them out as needed. Uh, and then as we'd go out with the uh, larger groups to help, we would keep running out of stuff all the time. Like, yeah. uh, you know, not a lot of hand-me-down goods come through. And even the ones that do are, are hand-me-down, so they don't last very long and the quality's not great. And we thought, oh, well, I think Tom's had just come about right around that time. We were like, oh, that sounds neat. I bet there's a company out there that makes all the stuff that we need. We'll call them. They'll give it to us. We'll have stuff. Problem solved. Yay. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it didn't exist. It just wasn't out there. Um, and I wish I could say that immediately we were like, oh, totally, company, let's make it. Um, but we were really honestly busy with our own lives. And so we kind of put it on the back burner. It was this little project that just kept itching at the back of our head for, yeah. for months and months and months. Um, and then finally, I, I kind of got disenchanted uh, with what I was doing uh, day to day uh, as a career. And we made the leap and said, you know what, 
how about we start this off as a crowdfunding project? And if people are as passionate about it as we are, then it'll be a demand-based company instead of us trying to convince something uh, that people don't want. We can instead actually go along with what people say should exist. Um, and, and from there, it's just kind of turned into what it is now, which is uh, truly a blessing. It's, it's an amazing thing that we get to be a part of. Yeah. And I love the way that you guys really try to do, and I, I I don't mean to like throw out the cliche phrase, but sort of that wraparound approach where you're not only trying to meet in, meet a need, but you're also trying to serve in a way that is beneficial. And you're also providing opportunity for the community that you're serving. You're not just kind of out there just giving them something. You're also saying, hey, like, do you need a job? We've got a job for you kind of thing. And you're giving them um, you're giving them an opportunity, which sometimes like, you know, it's one of those things that I talk about all the time is 99% of the time. And yes, like there are exceptions to the rule or exceptions to these cases. But, you know, people don't want a handout. They want an opportunity. They want a job. They want the ability to provide for them, their family themselves. Um, you know, and again, there's always exceptions. But um, to see how you guys have seen that there's a need, figured out a way to serve in that area, and then also provide an opportunity is just so – it's really cool. Uh, thanks. Isn't that supposed to be the, the goal of a good social enterprise is kind of essentially to go out of business, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if you're doing it the right way, then hopefully you solve the problem and there wouldn't really be much purpose for you to be around um, with that. I mean, it's not to say there there's some other great companies that either ethically sourced or, or um, you know, even one for one model. There's definitely those immediate needs that exist out there, which is why we give what we give. Mm-hmm. But it's really just a Band-Aid. It, it's it's going to perpetuate a cycle of I need another thing and I need another thing. And really, we'd love it for people not to need things. I would love to, you know, here's a beanie or gloves or scarves. I'm sorry, you're super cold. We're going to work on that immediate front. But hey, how about we bring you in for an interview actually and see if maybe by next year you can get your own stuff. That is really amazing. Now, that kind of leads me to a kind of a separate somewhat related, somewhat unrelated question. Um, But there are, you know, and it's kind of one of those things where, you know, hot button issues go and go and come in waves. And one of the things I've seen recently is a lot of critics of the one for one model and people saying that it's, you know, it's a handout and it's hurting economies and all that kind of stuff. Um, You know, I think it's a very, I mean, I, I don't think it is. It's a very complicated issued no matter what company it is and what you know area they're serving in and certainly it it can be really great and sure it can be hurtful you know depending on where you're you know kind of I guess where the focus is I'd just love for you to kind of share what's your thought on that and how the how you guys sort of went towards or why you guys decided to do the one-for-one model and kind of your thoughts on on that whole issue for us and why we do it, uh, it's because there are a lot of immediate needs in the homeless community. So, you know, a pair of socks or a beanie might not last you, but a day or two, unfortunately, if it's freezing, they, you know, just aren't high enough quality. So we try to give some a little better in the summertime. You can't wash your clothes when you're out on the street. So Mm -hmm. there is a real finite amount of time that even new stuff can last. 
That's not to say that's how you should totally address the problem. Yeah. That is why we do employment. That's yeah. why we do counseling, and that's why we work with a lot of other groups because those are the, the core issues yeah. to homelessness, yeah. like housing. But in the short term, I also don't want to look at somebody who's desperate and say, mm, sorry, you know, it, it doesn't have to be one or the other. You can, I, in my opinion, find some balance between the two uh, if, you know, the company has the buffer and structure to do both and then all to it. Now, that said, and I do get that from other people where they say, oh, you guys are that next step from one for one, which it's not next. It's not like there's a hierarchy of mm-hmm. better or worse. We're mm-hmm. all trying to make an impact, obviously, right. but there are ways to affect it short term and there are ways to affect it long term. And at the very least, the fact that you and I are even having a discussion as to whether or not that is a good policy means that we're paying attention to the issue that they're trying to fix, Yeah, which prior, maybe no one even cared about. And I know Tom's gets a lot of flack for that all the time, but prior to them, there weren't anyone looking at, you know, hygiene, you know, foot conditions in the third world, really, at least not, not on the scale that they tried to address it. So I think as consumers trying to live those lessons that like your parents taught you and me, um, which is to be a good person, make the right choice, do the right thing. And we want to do that even within the things that we own and buy. And so now we're just getting that many more options to live out those lessons. And, and as companies, we're kind of learning and growing in that same pace. Yes. I love that answer so much. And I especially love, um, just your perspective on it. And that's so much of, I share so much of very much, you know, what you sort of feel when it comes to this, because I, I completely agree. Like sometimes I just want to say to those people who are who are super critical of the one for one model and sometimes over the like almost like sanctimoniously. And I'm like, come on, y'all. Like, <laughs> like, like you're going to it's it's like you're, you know, excuse my French, but damned if you do and damned if you don't. It's like people will will say, you know, like, well, you know, we need to help more. We need to help more. And then somebody will be like, oh, well, you're helping, but you're not helping the right way. And it's just right. like, well, come what do you expect? Like we're trying to, we're trying to do something here, but like we're all on the same team. We're all really trying to make a difference. And I love what you said about how, you know, what are you going to say to that person who's homeless on the street and is cold or is hungry or has, you know, needs just a clean pair of socks and they are, you know, are you going to really look them in the eye and be like, Nope, sorry, man. I'm trying to, I'm trying to really curb this one for one thing. So you're going to have to pick up, pick yourself up by your own bootstraps. Like, no, <laughs> you know, why, why would we do that? No, you do what you can. And then for the, you know, that's, that's the short goal. And then the long goal, obviously, you know, at least for us as a company, we try to really work with that person to see, well, what else do you need? Yeah. Like, here's the socks. Now you don't have to worry about that. What else was on the front of your mind? Right. Cause now the immediate needs can be addressed. I'm not hungry. I'm not thirsty. I'm not standing in the rain anymore. Um, I'm relatively comfortable. You know what? I'd really like to talk to somebody about this thing I've been going through. Yeah. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. Let's get you in contact with them. You know, at the very least, even when we give something as a one for one, it starts the conversation of, well, let's see how we could maybe employ you or let's see how you are just as a person. It's it's a great conversation starter. It's that first touch point with another human to let them know that they're not forgotten and still cared about. 
Yes. Yes. I, yeah. If I know this is audio, so you can't see me, but I'm just like nodding. Profi- like, <laughs> yes, yes, yes. I completely agree. Um, one of the things you mentioned earlier was when you were in college and you sort of got to that point where you would almost become, I don't remember what the word exactly you used, but like numb to the panhandlers you'd see in the community. Um, I'd love to talk about that a little bit because that is, I mean, I live in central North Carolina. Um, I live in Durham specifically, and we have a very, very high homeless population here. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, in the Raleigh, Durham, kind of that triangle area, there's a lot of panhandlers. I mean, I, you know, just in the six minute drive from my house to the recording studio where I record this podcast, that, I mean, I probably see five to six panhandlers in that short drive. I mean, it's probably not even two full miles. Um, And, you know, I like I said earlier, I grew up in in Washington, D.C., where I saw them all the time. Uh, But my mom, you know, very much instilled in me that whole notion of, you know, serving people and don't look down on anybody and, and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, I've kind of carried that that legacy on in that like I always keep little um, like I guess you would call them like goodie bags, if you will, in my car for the homeless. And so I do them. I try to make them seasonally appropriate. So in the wintertime, I'll have things like gloves and those little like hot hands things, the things that heat up you can hold, um, you know, snacks, water bottles. In the summertime, I try to do like bug spray and sunscreen and stuff like that. But there is a lot of talk, especially in this area, of people sort of being frustrated with the panhandling community. And, um, you know, and then there's talk of people who are, and and I do know this, you know, to be true, that there are some panhandlers who are not actually homeless and they just go out there because they can make more money in a day standing on the corner you know, with a sign saying they're homeless, then they can get, you know, getting a job at McDonald's. Um, but I try to tell people, you know, when I have conversations with people about the homeless, I just say, well, you know, no matter why they're standing there, something happened or there was a series of events in their life that led them to that place where they felt like they needed to do that. And it's not about looking down on them or or judging them. It's about just seeing them as a person and seeing them as, you know, a man or a woman uh, who has a purpose and was put on this planet for a purpose and trying to serve them and love them where they are. Um, I guess I, I just kind of would love to hear your sort of your perspective in that you you work with the homeless all the time. You know, you run a company who is very that's very passionate about serving the homeless community. What kinds of conversations do you have with people who maybe felt like you did when you were in college, who sort of feel numb to the panhandlers or they aren't sure how to help? Um, What do you say to those people who kind of don't know what to do? Um, Well, the first thing we usually go into is helping to identify what homelessness actually is Mm -hmm. and who homeless really are. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think it's interesting, uh, not not unexpected, but say the individuals that you're that you're referencing, the ones that panhandle, they're on the street corners that have the end of the world sign or ranting on the subway. Yeah. yeah. Um, that is a small, small portion of the actual homeless yeah. community. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. there's chronic homeless and then there's also transitioning homeless. Uh, say uh, some offhand stats, tons of kids 
tons of children yeah. are yeah. actually considered homeless by the Department of Housing. Uh, many, many, many women, uh, young mothers uh, are a huge, huge population, but they don't go out and panhandle. One, it's not safe. Two, they often have jobs. They're very, very busy. There's a huge portion of the American populace that's actually called the working homeless. Yeah. Um, it's not hard to imagine working uh, back kitchen staff and then, you know, whatever city you're in has a bad tourist month. They have to cut you. Well, now you can't pay your rent, which was month to month. And then you get kind of a, a nick on your record. And so you have that much harder of a time getting into the next place when, uh, you know, business picks up. Yeah. So yeah. you end up at a shelter. Well, the shelters aren't always wonderful places, especially for someone with children. So then what do you do? Maybe now you're sleeping in a car. Well, maybe then you can't pay for the car anymore. Now the car has gone. Holy cow, how did it come to this? That's not always somebody that you see out on the street corner. And, and usually whenever we discuss, you know, how should I help that guy on the corner? One of the things we always try and want to point out is that it's not always that guy. And that's not anything against that person that's panhandling, but there is a uh, invisible audience and 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 huge populace of what are considered homeless, and and most of them are who we help. Um, that that those are the people that you're often trying to help, and regardless, we're all just people, um, and there is some self actualization for sure as to why that person is on the street corner, but. Uh, each one is a dynamic story. Sometimes it's health issues, mental health issues, financial issues, addiction issues. It shouldn't be about what caused that person to be there. It should be a discussion about what can we do as a society to help that person not be there. Yeah. You know, much more forward leaning instead of this uh, condemning based mindset of, well, he's obviously there for a reason and that's not my problem. Mm -hmm. Moving on mm -hmm. with my day. La, 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 la. Yeah. That's what, that's what we do. That is a, it's a, a coping mechanism that we've developed so that we can go about the rest of our day without having to feel guilty passing that individual and having done nothing. Um, it's harder and more complicated to try to take that next step to figure out, can I do something? But at least if you take that first step, You'll be on the right path. And as a society, if we can all kind of take just one step closer to looking deeper, to understanding the individual that's on that street corner instead of judging that person, then uh, we can all make some great strides in helping there not to be people on that street corner. Yes, I could not agree more. And I think you brought up a really great point that is one of the things that I talk about all the time. Um, I do. I'm on the board for a local organization here in the area called Transforming Hope, and it's an anti-human trafficking organization. Um, and actually, if you are listening to the show right now, well, obviously, if you are hearing my voice, you're obviously listening. Um, <laughs> but I had um, Abby Tanalia, who is the founder of Transforming Hope, on back in February. So you can go back into the archives and listen to that episode. But one of the things we talk about all the time is um, people don't realize that there is a huge, huge link between human trafficking and homelessness. Um oh about the I mean the statistic is is that one in three children that is um one in three children that's homeless will be trafficked within the first 48 hours of them being homeless. And so one of the things that we are actually trying to do as an organization here in the next 
you know, year, couple years, one of the big um, initiatives that we're doing is actually working with partnering with other nonprofits in the area to create a young adult resource center um, for homeless youth. And um, we've you know, trying to do everything from like right now, actually, um, are the founder of the organization and a couple people from some of these partner organizations. What they're doing right now is, I mean, literally on the street, they are going out and doing a point in time count and they're doing street outreach and literally physically going out to the streets of Durham and the surrounding areas and counting how many, you know, youth are homeless and out on the streets, um, whether it be hiding and trying to connect, um, you know, with, you know, homeless youth who know where other homeless youth are and that kind of thing. Um, because, you know, solving that problem or really working to alleviate that problem can also, you know, help to curb human trafficking. And people don't realize that there's such a huge connection, but there is. There's a massive connection between homelessness and human trafficking. Oh, yeah. And if you even can take it one step further, uh, prior to a lot of children becoming homeless, they're coming out of broken homes. Yes. They're coming out of state-run facilities yep. that are incredibly understaffed and are not adequate and adept enough to really brace uh, kids falling through the cracks of those systems. Um, so there are numerous points long, long before someone has spent 20 to 30 years on the street mm-hmm. that we could address many of, of these issues uh, together. That, that, that's the thing that I'd love to hear with what you suggested is that you're going to get with another group and another group and another group. And that's something that I think is sorely missing out of both the nonprofit and business community is that unfortunately, because of how funding works, some people see another organization is potentially going after the same grant or something like that. So the ability to work together is somehow inhibited. Uh, But when it comes to something like this, we really have to see past those things to do what's best for the individuals we're trying to help. Completely. And one, that's one of the things we love so much is being able to work with other organizations because, you know, we always say all the time, like we don't want to reinvent the wheel or we don't want to try and do you know, what another organization does better. So why can't we pool our resources? If our expertise comes in the area of human trafficking, but somebody else's expertise might come in the area of maybe, um, you know, childhood sexual abuse, things like that, you know, or somebody else who has, um, you know, uh, more expertise in the area of life skills training, or somebody else who has more expertise in the area of, you know, health and, you know, wellness, you know, taking care of their health and wellness, things like that. Like, why can't we all pool our resources, use our areas of expertise to help serve this population that is, you know, that is in need? Um, So, yes, I completely agree. I think, you know, I think the future or what's going to really help push us forward and in, in whether it's homelessness or human trafficking or hunger or whatever it is, the more that businesses, the more that people, the more that um, organizations can really come together and realize that if we work together and if we pool our resources and if we forget about the, you know, stop thinking that we're competition and realize that we're all a community and that we're all, you know, fighting the same fight. I feel like things are going to get done a whole lot better. And I, and I, almost see a shift happening 
because of social media and um, a lot of the sort of community over competition movements that are beginning to really make waves throughout businesses and nonprofits, I, I, I wonder what the next five and 10 years are going to look like when it comes to serving needed populations. Again, whether it's human trafficking or homelessness or, or uh, you know, like I said, hunger, you know, I wonder if we're going to start to see more people collaborate and come together rather than trying to be at competition with one another. I would imagine. It seems like there's a lot of really savvy people that are looking into the breadth of organizations and companies that exist. And it's not just about, can I sell a thing for a cheaper price? Or can I tell my story louder than anyone else? It's mm-hmm. more, how do I fit in this, you know, wide plethora of options? What, where could we kind of come in to help connect things and actually bridge the gaps between those two things, which was the, I mean, one of the huge, huge debates that we used to stay up night after night figuring out when we structured the company and when we said, nope, it's going to be a thing. Oh, geez, what is that thing actually going to look like? Yeah. Uh, how are we going to structure it? What, what would be uh, our policies? What would be the way in which we want to sustain ourselves? And um, yeah, not reinventing the wheel was key for us. And the last thing we wanted was to come in uh, and essentially reinvent the wheel for a lot of other organizations around us that are already trying to help those in need. So we went and talked with them. We would ask them, what do you need? What, what do you wish existed out there that didn't? And a lot of the groups, which is, which is how we do our giving and our employment. When we, when we give an item, we don't just drive around town and say, here's some stuff. Yay. We (laughs) get all of our things through our giving partners all over the country. Uh, they send us quotas of how much they need and we do our best to fill each and every one of them. Uh, that way they have, the material items to give to individuals. And it also frees up a lot of their funding so that they can focus on other issues like counseling, housing, education, career development, and whatnot. And then in turn, they actually are the first ones to reach out to us and say, hey, actually, um, you know, I've got Ellis or Clifton or Helen. They've gone through our program. They're wonderful. Uh, they do have this small little record thing uh, from the 80s, if you're willing to you know, ask a little bit more about that. But they're looking for employment. And we bring them in like a regular job and, and they become our vetting and sourcing for all of the all the staff that we now have that put everything together. So it's it's a much more symbiotic relationship than, oh, well, they help, but we help different or better or whatever. That's so cool. I was actually going to – it's a good – another kind of lead into my next question is how do you guys identify the nonprofit partners that you work with around the country? Um, well – we don't really have like a hierarchy system of like, that's a good one. That's a bad one. Yeah. It's always case by case. Um, but what we really, really try to find and look for are people that have feet to the street, not we're a great, you know, funding mechanism for helping the homeless, but much more. We have lots and lots of people that are out there that are interacting on a day to day basis with these people so that we can, both give them what they need, but then also be that much more, I guess, embedded in what the actual solutions to the problem would be. Um, so yeah, it's, it's not a size based thing. We work with uh, arguably organizations of all sizes, just truly like, um, it makes it for a logistical nightmare, but that's our problem. And we'll <laughs> handle it. I think that's awesome. Personally, like I said, I think that's awesome. Yeah, um, 
yeah, it'd be so. if we just picked like who's the biggest person and then just gave them like tens of thousands of items and then said, oh, you figure it out. Bye. <laughs> it, that doesn't necessarily help the most. Sometimes that actually just means that you're giving to the exact same people repeatedly. So instead, we really try to look at, well, who's got an organization that's got a solid footprint in that particular city? Okay, well, we don't necessarily need to find five of them. Maybe we just have one and they get about as far north as this. And oh, now there's another one that gets a, almost about as far south as that. Oh, that's perfect. So in the same way that, you know, big box retail stores try to make sure that, you know, they don't have a store too close to the other one. Um, we try to make sure that our giving is as equitably dispersed in the areas that are needed as much as possible. That's a great approach. Um, mm -hmm. Now, I have to ask, where did the name Mitzgoods come from? Uh, <laughs> um, so my name is Tim Scott. And when I was a little kid learning how to spell my name, instead of Tim, I wrote down Mitt. And instead of Scott, I wrote Scoot, right? And the teacher thought it was cute. And she didn't correct me. So um, for like weeks, I was spelling <laughs> my name wrong, just like little Mitt Scoot. And they were like, oh, don't tell him. He's just <laughs> Some kid, don't worry about it. I got kicked <laughs> in the head by a horse or something like that. And uh, then I had a substitute that came in and she proved it up on the front of the board in front of everybody. And we were like, what sound does an M make? And we all had a good laugh. And then I got stuck with this like terrible nickname for the longest time. It followed me through high school and football and the military and college. It was even like on the back of my letter jacket. <laughs> Secretly, I hated it. I hated it. You know, but you try to own it. You're like, oh, yeah, Mitsuku. Thanks, guys. And inside, I was like, Rawr. but when it came time to name the company, I thought, oh, I'm going to make this mean something good. Ah. And so uh, it kind of, I think, serves as a motif for uh, a lot of the individuals that we hire that come in with this terrible stereotype of homelessness is that we really try to turn that weakness into a strength and show that, you know, they're not the stereotype, but instead somebody that overcame that really difficult situation, it can become hopefully an asset for them as well. <laughs> that is that is a really cool story. And I'm not going to lie, not what I expected at all. I expected there to be like this, like, really, I mean, it is profound in some ways, but very like, like, oh, well, it's this guy that I met, you know, I don't know. I don't, I was just expecting old, old mit, old a little mit, mit scooter. Very good guy. <laughs> Yeah, no, he's he's an okay guy, but he doesn't know how to spell his name. So there's that. <laughs> I'm sorry I'm laughing so much, but I just can't like that is it's kind of an adorable name too. Like, oh a little mitt scoot. <laughs> yep. I'm glad that you're enjoying the nickname as well. Hey, hey, you know what? I yeah, I I was uh tormented in elementary school, so I received you know, my name my maiden name was Buckley and my you know, obviously my first name is Molly and I used to get called everything in the, the dictionary. So, you know, I've, yeah. I feel your pain, but I love, I, I really do love how you were, you were like, I'm going to redeem this. This is something I hated most of my life. And, you know, the fact that you were just like, we're going to make something good out of it. So I think, I think it's awesome. I try to own it, you know, and we do that with a lot of stuff. I'll be honest. It's, it's not like because of the name, but we see, so much that comes out of a community where people expect so little mm -hmm. that we've kind of tried to adapt that to a lot of other things that we do. So like if it's our packaging material, it was literally the trash, like the stuff that we wrap 
all of our products in was um, the paper between the paper. We went to these huge printing companies and um, they were like, oh, take a look at our shiny cardstock, bright white, extra thick, blah, 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 blah. And we were like, what's this other stuff in the corner that's just all piled up? And they're like, oh, that's chit paper, not not the S, but like C-H-I-T. They were like, oh, that's chit board. Uh, that's just the stuff between the reams of paper. And we were like, can you print on it? I guess if you wanted to, we were like, yeah, totally. Is it more cost effective and then we can help more people? Yeah, sure. So we literally buy the trash from our printers to put all of our packaging materials together and we've tried to do the same thing with a lot of the other materials that we put into our product too so whether it's recycled fibers or um you know actually like our retail displays we make them out of old pallets that our production team goes and finds and so they're actually put together by the homeless from what is literally the trash that was behind whatever home depot they happily give it to us they're like yeah take this stuff get it out of here and then we turn it into something worthwhile that is awesome. I did not know that. What I mean, what a cool, what a cool way to make yeah, like treasure out of trash, as they say. There's a, there's only so much room on the website though, you know. So it's it's hard to be like we're made in the USA and eco friendly and also repurposing wood and employing the homeless. At some point, people are just like saturated with yeah. messages. They're, they're like, like, all right, we okay. get it. You're awesome. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of stuff going on. Whatever, just move on. <laughs> That is really, really cool. Um, so, Tim, as we kind of wrap up here, what is sort of, you know, the on the horizon for Mitscoots and Little Mitscoot? That's what I'm going to be thinking every time I see it now, by the way. I'm going to, like, I was looking at the the, like, the the tank tops and stuff. Like, I'm not going to be able to see the, the Mitscoots tank tops and not think, like, oh, Little Mitscoot. That's <laughs> <laughs> okay. It's so it's fun and a little self-deprecating, which is okay. Hey, it's, it's cool. There's humility in it. So <laughs> What's on the horizon for Little Mitscoot? <laughs> yeah, right. Um, oh, gosh. Horizon. Uh, to be quite open and frank, I would really love to be able to clothe someone from head to toe. Whatever they need, we want to be able to give it to them so that they can focus on the things that will actually get them out of that situation. Uh, and through that process, we'll be able to employ just an absolute ton of people um, and make some really great stuff. I mean, we have to sell things to be able to help anybody. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, honestly, we, we really focus on that. So we're really product driven, but the products are deemed by what's needed out on the street. And we figure if we make a really good thing, then we'll earn the ability to help someone else. So instead of trying to convince people that, our cause is worth your time or, or please take another look or, you know, the Sarah McLaughlin type commercials. So <laughs> yeah. like, it's eyes of the angel, right? <laughs> it just makes, you feel, makes you feel bad for wanting to help. Yeah. We would much rather like make a really awesome thing and then earn the ability to help others in the same way that our employees earn their ability to, you know, not be in their position anymore. So, um, yeah, we're going to keep introducing more products, I think, that are going to address those immediate needs that they have on the street and keep hiring. That is awesome. Tim, I just think what you, like I said, what I think what you guys are doing is so cool. And I just really commend you for just taking such a kind of holistic approach, if you will, to you see a problem and you're like, all right, 
we're gonna we're gonna do what we can to put ourselves out of business if if you like you said I mean I just I think that's awesome is because that means that you are really working as selflessly and as you know diligently as you can to make a difference so uh, just thank you so much and thank you to your wife and uh, obviously all the guys that you guys employ and um, the women too you know just everything I think we guys are doing is really awesome thank you so much yeah we've got a a solid team and lucky enough that people ask us a little bit more about it here and there. So thank you. Yeah. And I have it on, I, I've only been to Texas a couple times, but I have it on, I, I really have heard that I would love Austin and I've never been. So if I'm in Austin, I'm, I want to come see this where you guys are. Yeah. Yeah. Come to Austin. We're on what's called sixth street in Austin. It's kind of a notorious part of town, but, um, yeah, we've got a great little packing facility. Bring you in, give you a tour, introduce you to some of the amazing people that have really uh, shown us what it is to be a good company. That's so cool. Um, all right. So for everybody listening, I will make sure to have all of the contact information and social media links and all that good stuff for Mitscoots in the uh, for little Mitscoot <laughs> in the show notes, um, so you guys can uh, check them out and be sure to uh, shop if you need every. They carry everything from socks to really cool socks too. In addition to you know functional like workout socks, but they also have some really cool printed socks uh, to t-shirts and scarves and beanies. Uh, so many awesome things. So definitely check out Mitzgoots, uh, support them. Um, they make great gifts. <laughs> I'll throw, you know, uh, this is going to air after Father's Day. So it'll be a little late for that. But, you know, 4th of July, you could, you could uh, you know, do a 4th of July gift <laughs> or back to school. <laughs> uh, we've got like 4th of July, like American flag socks and bandanas. See, so, there you go. Yeah. Yeah. It'll work out perfect. Uh, yeah. Tim, thank you so much for your time um, and taking time out of what I know is a busy schedule to, to chat with me and, and just share the Mitscoot story. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you again. Man, after I got done talking with Tim, it just kind of made me want to run out and find the next person that I could help. But I mean, in all seriousness, I really feel like Tim just approaches serving others in such a unique way his giftings you know for for giving back to the community in a thoughtful and intentional way are so cool so i really do hope that you check out mitzgoots and uh, show them some love show them some support if this episode blessed you please let them know uh and just you know tell them that what they are doing is so cool if this is your first time listening to the show thank you for tuning in we have nearly 40 episodes in the archives that you can listen to and hear from so many amazing entrepreneurs who are running their businesses with purpose and passion. If this is your regular weekly habit, thank you so much for your support. Thank you for listening. Make sure you guys head on over to iTunes, subscribe to the show, and be sure to leave us a review because that helps us to grow the show, share the show, and get the show out there. I hope you guys have an awesome week and we'll see you guys next time. Bye.